Hello, this is Kurt Frankum, and many of you know me as the host of the Leading Saints podcast. But Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we strive to create quality leadership content for Latter-day Saints in order to help them be better prepared to lead. With this mission comes a lot of expense, and we need additional help to continue our efforts in the coming year. In order to exchange value for value, we have created the Core Leader Community. To become a core leader, all you have to do is become a subscribing donor, which might be a monthly recurring donation or even a quarterly or yearly donation. For those who become a core leader through a subscription donation, you have access to our core leader library, which includes additional recorded interviews not available to the general audience, access to all virtual summits, discounts on products and conferences, and access to a private CoreCast feed where you will hear additional leadership thought and behind the scenes happenings. We are a community of leaders making this happen, and we need you a part of this mission. Text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to become a core leader today, or visit leadingsaints.org donate. Hey, fear not. Leading Saints is back. This is the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankum, your host. If you're new to Leading Saints, well, Welcome. We're glad you're here. Come on in. Take a seat. Get comfortable. And uh, this is one of many episodes I'm sure you'll dive into talking about all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. That's what we do at Leading Saints. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated with a mission to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And uh, this is how we do it through the podcast. Also, don't skip going to the website at leadingsaints.org. We have a great newsletter there. We've got uh, written articles. We've got virtual summits. I mean, there's so much content that if you have a question as a leader, we've probably answered it at some point, and you can find it at leadingsaints.org. Now, here we are. I mean, how do we start our emails these days? Wow, crazy times. I hope you're doing well. Hope your family's surviving during these interesting times. And we want to bring you content that's going to help you as a leader. And I'll be honest, I felt a little bit confused as far as what type of content that I could help uh, facilitate, put out there into the world that was going to help leaders in this time. Because believe me, I know it, you leaders are out there and it's like all of your resources have been removed from you. You don't have the machine of weekly church attendance. You don't have the machine of, of visiting people. And so you're thinking, how, what, I mean, where do I even start to help people? And it can feel so hopeless and discouraging, especially when so many people are seeking for belonging or seeking for connection. And so that is what I wanted to focus on in this uh, interview, which I talk with Garrett Crone. I learned finally how to say his name, even though I've been his friend for several years. His last name is Crone. Garrett Crone is a marriage and family therapist in Meridian, Idaho, Boise area up in Idaho. I said it right, right? Idahoans Boise, not Boise, Boise. And uh, he does great work up there. I've been blessed to know him and learn from him. He just really knows the stuff when it comes to mental health, depression anxiety. And uh, that's what a lot of people are feeling right now. And as church leaders, we don't know what to do. So hopefully this episode will inspire you on a few things that you could do to start building connection and rather than social support, which social support is good. We talk about this, but I mean, just that, just that principle alone makes the interview worth it. So here is my interview with Garrett Crone. 
Today, I have the opportunity to welcome my friend into the podcast world with who is Garrett Kroon. How are you, Garrett? Doing great, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Well, it's awesome to have you. Now, the Leading Saints audience may not realize this, but uh, you have had a hand behind the scenes of Leading Saints. The last few years, you've uh, helped us organize our live event, the Leading Saints live event that happens in November. And uh, I keep saying, well, oh, I'm sure by November we'll be back to having live events. I'm sure, but I'm always wrong. So let's hope a live event happens, but if not, we'll do it online. So anyways, you've given a lot to Leading Saints, and I'm excited to have you here to talk about an important topic. But first, put you into context, Garrett. What's your background, and what authoritative voice do you bring to this discussion? Sure. I have a degree in psychology from Boise State University, and I went to graduate school, got a master's in counseling from Northwest Nazarene University. I studied uh, marriage, family, and couple therapy, and also trauma, grief, and crisis. I'm a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I operate a private practice in Meridian, Idaho. Awesome. Very cool. So, and I, I think where this all started, as far as this conversation goes, is, well, first I got an email from somebody who had, you had visited their stake and done a fifth Sunday lesson or a fireside, and and uh, she emailed me and said, you've got to reach out to Garrett Kroon as if I didn't know who Garrett was. And I'm like, of course I know Garrett. And of course I'll reach out. Anyway, so, but then I put out a survey in last week's newsletter. If you're not part of the Leading Saints newsletter, you can go to leadingsaints.org slash subscribe and uh, be part of the weekly newsletter because if you're not, you're missing out on additional leadership content. But I put out uh, an opportunity for people to fill out a survey about what is it they're struggling with most currently as a leader, and especially during this time, we're in May of 2020 in the, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and which has got us all quarantined and not attending church. And I shared those survey results with you. And it was interesting to see, I would say, at least 80% of people mentioned something about connection, right? Or relationships with that just, they're just struggling how to establish that connection where before we had this robust machine of a church that really made connection easy, right? We go to church every Sunday, maybe we have a youth activity, you know, different activities, ministering, and it just came more naturally. So I think, and then I went on Facebook and put a question up there about connection. Is that when you saw it and you thought, hey, I, I know a thing about connection? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And I, and I, I get the, I read the newsletter as well. And I thought, well, this is exactly what I'm talking about in my clinical practice every single day. And I think that 80% number is pretty reflective of what I'm experiencing here in my practice and what my colleagues, different therapists that I've chatted with um, around the state and around the region are experiencing as well. People are really worried about connection and belonging. Yeah. And so as you talk with your, even your therapist colleagues and, and as just what you're saying with your different clients that come in. I mean, how is it manifesting itself? What, as far as this concept of connection? So it's interesting. When the COVID-19 pandemic really, I guess, kicked off, there were high levels of anxiety. People were really scared. Those that were already more prone to anxious feelings uh, were even more anxious. And those that were maybe um, a little less prone to anxious feelings were feeling generally more anxious. As time has gone on, that has subsided quite a bit from what I'm seeing and from what a lot of my colleagues are seeing. And it's been replaced with a pretty significant level of depression. Hmm. And oftentimes when, when I ask questions about that depression, it comes back to that connection, feeling alone, feeling disconnected from normalcy I and mean, from, from their communities. I'm not exclusively a Latter-day Saint counselor, but 
practicing in Meridian, Idaho, and being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints myself, a significant portion of, of my, my caseload are members of the church. And this uh, narrative keeps popping up of, does anyone notice me? Where did everyone go? I feel like I thought I had this, this robust ward family that cared about me. And now that times have gotten rough, we haven't been to church for a while, the text messages aren't rolling in or the phone calls aren't happening. And that, that profound feeling of disconnection and what might have previously been a sense of belonging eroding, so to speak. And then on the other side of that, there's, the, there's a group that is reaching out um, as hard as they can and they aren't getting feedback. They're sending text messages and nobody's responding. They're making phone calls and nobody calls them back. They send letters and nobody writes back. They, you know, paint a rock and leave it on the doorstep and nobody says anything about it. And, uh, and, and then there's all, there's also the group that's just like, leave me alone. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fine. Right. Like we'll get through this and get back to it. And, and as you say that, like, I just think of the, there's so many leaders out there, bishops, or at least side presidents who hear that and think, man, like that's my worst fear. I don't want anybody in my ward to feel like, you know, forgotten or that we're just skipping over them or we're not trying. And I see so many leaders trying, but at the same time, like, all their tools and resources are like gone, right? It's like, I can, I can call you, but like after the third day in a row calling you, we sort of run out of stuff to talk about because right. we're just sitting in our homes, you know, watching Netflix or whatever, or, or, you know, we don't have the, the social dynamics of a, a traditional Latter-day Saint experience, right? Of weekly church attendance, seeing somebody talking to them briefly in the hall. I think someone even mentioned that in the survey. Like I just miss the two minutes between classes in the halls where I can reconnect with somebody and then move on, right? And when we're living that, it doesn't seem like a big deal until it's gone, right? And so it's sort of this frustration on both ends where the individual feels alone, forgotten, is seeking belonging, but the person who, you know, they look to as, as far as their leaders to do that, sort of like, I'm out of ideas of what I can do to do this. So let's just get through this, right? Right. I just finished Ryan Gottfredson's new book, which is fantastic. Oh, it's awesome. I feel like if you could just interview him every week, I would just... Yeah, there's some people I I stop and say, I think I'm just supposed to hand off the podcast to you and you're just supposed to... He's one of them. (laughs) And something that that has been on my mind, thinking about our conversation and my conversations in my practice and also with members of my ward and stake is that people are doing their best. Uh, So many people are trying so hard and whatever level of effort most people are putting out, it's, it's their best. I've learned doing a ton of, of speaking, um, whether it be to church groups or to community groups or academically, uh, maybe at the university, that it's so important to throw out or it's become apparent that I, I kind of need to throw out all the disclaimers and caveats in the world before I even get close to mentioning that any group might take a different look or consider a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah, It's so easy to unintentionally create a fence and to say, oh, people are feeling disconnected. That must be because you, you know, you're not a good bishop. Or you're not a good Relief Society president. And I think it's important before we really get this conversation rolling too heavily that that is not either of our perspective. That I think both of us, knowing you as well as I do, both of us come from the perspective of people are doing their best. Yeah. And there's no handbook written. There's the COVID-19 handbook clearly was not written <laughs> before this happened. Yeah. We may get a few paragraphs in the, in the official handbook after this. So who knows? But... <laughs> But yeah, it's true that I think it helps a lot to have that empathy is we've both served in these types of callings, right? Where, where we really try and people still see us like, hey, what's, you're falling short as a leader. It's like, Ugh. So yeah, we, we are showering everybody listening with so much empathy. And it would be foolish to assume that, that it's the, the leadership's problem, why people are feeling like forgotten, 
when it's not, it's just, I mean, this is a messy world we live in. This virus only messes it up even more. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So where do we start with, I mean, I guess we need to lay a foundation of just understanding connection. Would that be a good place to go and, and the importance of it and how we, how we respond and why connection is so important to the human species? Yes. Yeah, so we, I mean, you take a look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everything that we're going to learn in, in our, our pretty basic psychology 101 courses, we're going to learn about the importance of connection and attachment. A step up from that, some of the, the research that I've really appreciated diving into kind of accidentally is on sense of belonging and the power of sense of belonging and really juxtaposing that with juxtaposing sense of belonging with social support. And so I'll talk a little bit about that. So over a year ago now, I was in a training for some trauma-based therapy, something called EMDR. And uh, I, was, I was learning about this therapy and I was invited uh, by the, the instructor, Dr. Ira Dressner to identify some hard things that I had been through. And so he just kind of asked me, said, so what's the worst thing you've ever been through? And I said, well, my mom died when I was 10 and and it was really hard. And when my mom died, I moved immediately to a different state. I moved, well, I just moved from Tennessee to Idaho and then to Utah. And so all of a sudden I was in Layton, Utah. I didn't know anyone. I was living with my grandparents who were my, my adopted father's parents who I, I knew and loved, but I didn't know them very well. And I didn't know anyone there and everything was different. My mom had passed away. I had two young brothers. There were two and three and my whole world was just flipped upside down. And looking back as a clinician now, I can say, well, of course, 10 year old me was quite depressed. It's a pretty depressing thing to go through. I had no idea where, where I was going, um, really what had happened. I had a profound sense of immobility and dramatic loss of connection. And then it was like, okay, Garrett, time to go back to school, time to hop back into the fifth grade. And I think a good rule of thumb is, that, you know, if you, if you start going to a fifth grade class in like October, November of the school year, something is not going well for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so I show up to this elementary school and I should have like Googled it and figured out what the name of the school is. I, I don't remember, but I, I went to the school early. I met with the principal and it was this kind of conversation. I remember like, okay, so here's the, the young man that just experiences big tragedy. Is he going to be all right? Like, can we send him into a class? And I guess they said yes. And so they, they told me my class was outside in a portable, which in Tennessee, we just called a trailer. And <laughs> yes. so, I, so I walk out there, it's freezing cold. I go in and I'm the, only, I'm the only student there because I'm really early. And my fifth grade teacher is there and bless her heart. It's like, welcome. We're happy to have you. Your desk is over there. It's the one with the stuff on it. And so I walked over to the desk, like I'm thinking like I probably got, I don't know, some papers or notebooks. There'd been a whole lot of kind of woe is me, like poor, poor 10 year old Garrett pats on the head. Like we don't really know what to say, which is you know reasonable given the circumstance. And so I, I sat down at my desk and there was this um, piece of cardboard covered in tinfoil, covered with cookies. And there was a note and the cookies were all letters and there was a ton of them. And they said, welcome to our class, all in cookies. And uh, there was a note. I opened it up and it was colorful and vibrant with only the vibrance and energy that fifth grade girls could put into a letter. <laughs> and it's so, so vibrant, in fact, that I'm colorblind. And I, I can even remember being like, well, this is pretty, pretty serious business. And, and it said something like, welcome to our class. We're so sorry for your loss. We're happy you're here to be with us. And then at the bottom, and I, I, I'm, I'm not even making this up at the bottom, it said, P.S., this doesn't mean that we like like you. Just in case there's any <laughs> very fifth grade esque, right? Too far ahead. We don't want you to think that we we like like you, but we definitely like you and welcome. And I remember for the first time 
in however long it had been since my mom passed away. I felt this feeling of warmth and belonging. It was like it was like I was in a place where people wanted me, but even though they didn't have to want me, they did. And the kids came in and the the girls that made the cookies were so nice and they made me feel like a part of the tribe. And I know I know probably what happened to get those cookies on my desk that my mom passed away there at my grandparents' house or kind of started there at my grandparents' house. A bishop got called and a Relief Society president got called and visiting teachers were informed. And then the primary president was informed that there was a 10-year-old there. And somebody talked to somebody that figured out where what class I was going to be in. And they probably sat down and had a really hard conversation about, you know, everybody that gets to get born gets to die and we're going to make some cookies. And well, we don't want him to think that he likes, likes us or that we like, like him. And uh, those cookies ended up on my desk. And in that training, that trauma-based therapy training, I realized that that was one of the most impactful moments of my entire life, receiving those cookies and feeling that sense of belonging. And so I, I nerded out as I do. And I, I asked the question like, why? Why though? Why was that so powerful? And I landed on some research from the University of Michigan. And it was published quite a while ago in the Journal of Psychiatric Nursing. And then there's been some follow-up studies and some, some additional research um, associated with it. And they found that a strong sense of belonging was a mitigating factor for depressive symptomology. So a sense of belonging can relieve depression. And, and it makes sense. It's like, well, of course, I see that all the time in my practice. I see people that are profoundly depressed, maybe suicidal, having a really, really hard time and going through really hard things. And I can watch and hear through the narratives and the stories when people tell me that they've been connected to other people, when people showed up. And something interesting in that research is they showed that social support, which is different than a sense of belonging, didn't move the needle at all. Hmm. It was like statistically null for depression, but, a, but belonging was really powerful. So the difference between pre, say, COVID-19, dropping off a lasagna to somebody you don't even know their name, it's like, oh, I guess you had a baby, here's a frozen lasagna, compared to knowing someone's name, showing up at their house, showing up in a way that they can count on you and feel like they're part of I like the word tribe, feeling like they're part of your tribe. Yeah. No, I, I really love this, uh, this, this concept of, of splitting, of separating the social support from the, the behavior or from the belonging. Because if you were to ask me before we hit record here, if there was a difference, I would say, no, nah, there's not. Because, and right now I'm seeing a lot of social support. And again, social, there's nothing wrong with social support. I don't think you're, you're saying that. You know, it's cool to see, you know, I'm on the uh, what's it called? The the next door app, uh, which yeah. is a pretty cool app that connects your, your, your local community. And so I get, you know, uh, uh, alerts on there, um, notifications about, uh, you know, different things. And it's cool to hear someone say, Hey, I'm out of toilet paper, you know, is, uh, are any hoarders out there that took the, <laughs> took right. the you know, I mean, they don't say it that way, but, but just to see like, Oh yeah, I've got some toilet paper. I'll run some over to you. I'll put it on your porch. Like that is fantastic. But I would, categorize that in social support, right? R- rather than belonging. It's not like, wow, you gave me this toilet paper. I feel like your friend and, and, you know, we should hang out, you know, and maybe you can progress through that, but there's a difference, right? Totally. So how do we, I mean, is it one of those questions of, I, I would guess the typical ward in this situation is looking to maybe is defaulting to social support before belonging because our belonging mechanisms have been removed from us, right? We can't have those get togethers. We can't invite people over for dinner. I mean, maybe it's getting to that point where we can, that's appropriate, but in certain places, but, but is it, is it maybe a big mistake that 
wards make is they sort of default to the social support rather than to the belonging efforts? I think so. I don't think it is uh, for lack of trying or that there's any sort of malfeasance. You know what I mean? Yeah. People, people are trying their best, like we said before, but there's definitely a difference. <clears throat> Just some things that, that I, have, I have seen in, in the last little bit. In my, my neighborhood, we did a socially distanced Easter egg hunt when Easter came around. And so um, just pe- people on our street and members of our ward and not, um, they colored paper Easter eggs and taped them inside their windows. And then so families could drive around with kids and they could try to count and find the Easter eggs. And families in our ward and family members also, some of my family members, we've had virtual dinners where we've opened up Zoom or FaceTime or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. At dinner, you know, virtual games. Um, with our, with, um, I'm right now the pre-scorm advisor, which is like the best calling ever. Right. And we've, we've been meeting uh, pretty regularly on Zoom. And uh, we've had firesides and awesome discussions. And some of it's just kind of been silly without a whole lot of purpose. And it's been excellent to watch, watch, especially for me, those young men be able to say, oh, these guys still care about me. I still care about you. And the feedback that I get is wonderful that they've been missing out on that because they're, they're lonely and alone. And a lot of people are really experiencing that right now. And I, I think that when we default to social support only, that we're, we risk running into some pretty serious problems in five, six, however many months it is when we open back up and we go back to church, something that I've been talking about with quite a few therapists and, and leaders in my area is that worry about what does it look like when we do open things back up and all of these people have had this idea of what it would be like if something bad happened, that they would have people that reached out and connected with them because they had a perceived sense of belonging. And for whatever reason, and again, everyone's doing their best, I think, but for whatever reason, that sense of belonging has diminished. Yeah. What do we see? What do we find when we return to our church buildings? Yeah. And I think that, again, that's one of those things like, you know, everybody should do their best to be engaged and try and create that sense of belonging. But regardless if you do an awesome job or not, some portion of your flock is going to feel maybe a little jaded. Like, man, I thought you guys were there for me and the world turned upside down and I was left alone, you know? And so just to be aware of that, that uh, don't be caught off guard when somebody has that feeling. And then that, that again, gives you a window of opportunity to step in and start building that connection, that belonging when that does happen, right? Right. I've become a pen pal of some people. Some of the, the older folks in my area, my ward, that aren't getting out, and it's not safe to do so right now, they feel especially isolated. Some already felt pretty isolated. Those that were already maybe living alone or already had some health concerns and didn't get out a whole lot. And church really was the place where each week they could come and they could be with their people. They could be with their ward family. And with that taken away for a really long time, that's a really dangerous thing for a lot of people. And so I've had the opportunity. I consider myself one of like the last living letter writers. Um, <laughs> I, I love writing. I think I probably even sent you a couple notes in the mail. Yeah, before. you did. Um, yep. I, I, I do it all the time and I love it. And I think kind of a weird thing with my job, I hear all the sad stories. And so sending out notes, whether they're thank you cards or, hey, thinking of you cards is something that really helps me notice the good in the world. Yeah. Um, but it also really helps me connect with people. And so I've had the opportunity to send letters to folks and get them back and then send them back again and get them back again. And uh, even our young men are starting to do that with um, some of the single 
or elderly members of our ward, and they're really enjoying it. Yeah. And I think the, the pr- strong principle there is sometimes we think, okay, I've got to, you know, stay in touch, build a connection, create some belonging. So I'm going to, you know, send them text messages regularly. But I think just the action of stepping out of the traditional approach of connecting with them goes a long way, even if it's as simple as pen and paper and the stamp, which takes my mind to, have you seen Ryan Hamilton's thing about quitting his gym with a letter yes. on yeah. Netflix? Anyways. Anyways, it's hilarious on Netflix and he's a fellow Latter-day Saint. But going like just the extra mile of, of even keeping it simple, but doing something little non-traditional. And I remember we just, you know, had our, our baby girl uh, last week and we came home exactly. and there was a, a bouquet of balloons and a sign on our door that said, welcome home, Mariah. Right. And, I, and we took a picture with her in her car seat in front of it. It was just sort of this cool thing. We found out later it was our next door neighbor who had taken the time to do that, who's also in our ward. And it, that just meant a lot rather than a quick text saying, oh, welcome home, Mariah. Like it's subtle, but it really goes a long way in that, in that sense, yeah. right? You know, Kerr, about, about a month ago, I got a phone call from my friend, David. Uh, he's in my ward. And uh, I, saw, I saw the phone ring. And basically, if my phone rings, someone needs something from me. Oh, yeah. I'm my, wife is a, my wife's a PA. And sometimes it's the same with her. If her phone rings, it's someone has an ear infection or something and wants some, some advice. And uh, I saw him and I thought, oh, he, he's a, also a, a healthcare provider. And I thought, oh, I, I wonder if something's going on. And it was amazing that he just said, so how you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, good, man. So what's going on? And, and he just wanted to know how I was. Yeah. He wanted to know how my practice was, how my family was, and if I needed anything. And it was uh, talking to my wife just the other night about belonging and connection. I said, remember when David called me? That was so awesome. And he's checked in since then and other, and other people have too, but it felt so good. And pe- people, I think, I think some people, again, back to all the caveats in the world, doing their best. I yeah. think that, <laughs> just make, you know, I don't want to make anybody too mad. I think that sometimes we don't recognize how we need that connection and need to engage in activities that foster belonging and how sometimes it requires some creativity. With social distancing, it's, in some states, um, some rules and, and regulations and laws, I guess, are a little more strict. In Idaho, it's not quite as strict as maybe someplace like uh, New York City. And so my wife and some of her friends from the ward have been meeting, I think, on Thursday nights in a parking lot. They'll sit on like their tailgates um, mm-hmm. so they're, they're socially distanced and safe. And just the other night, she went to do that and she left at like 7.30. I thought maybe she would be gone for an hour or something. And she didn't come home until like 1130. They had this amazing conversation, just sitting in a parking lot, being together. Now, and I know that's not feasible for everyone. And, and some people might be listening this to this and thinking like, oh, nobody, nobody would ever invite me to do something like that. And I, I empathize with that. I hear those stories in my office nearly every day. And to those folks, I might say, what an opportunity to maybe try to do something like that yourself. Maybe it's not a socially distanced tailgate conversation. Maybe Maybe it's on Zoom, or maybe it's just a phone call, or maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's something that, that you can do to reach out. And then to the folks receiving those invitations, I might, I might also encourage them to say, hey, don't reject the, what we call an emotional bid. Don't reject the outreach from someone. Be mindful of that, because it can really hurt. And who knows how many weeks it took for someone to build up the courage to send that text message or make that phone call or send that Marco Polo or letter or whatever it is. And sometimes 
as hard as it can be to get the energy and the strength to respond, it can be pretty hard to not get that response to. Yeah, for sure. So I want to circle back on just a few sort of nuanced uh, principles we touched on briefly, but that I want to bring up to hopefully ease the ease the pressure that maybe leaders are feeling a little bit. Please. But at the end of the day, you know, going back to this concept of social support versus belonging, the reality is we are in a very difficult situation to effectively create belonging. It can be done, and we've just shared some great examples of how that, that could be done. However, the reality is it's, it's just more difficult than normal life before. And I hope that this re-energizes leaders to re-engage in the belonging exercises when we do return to some level of social interaction, because the reality is the ship has sailed to some part, in my opinion, to some point, the ship has sailed as far as creating effective belonging. If you, you may, you know, be quarantined and think, okay, well, I've got some time. I'm going to really invest myself in ministering interviews. And so you, you start doing it, which is great, which is fantastic, which would be a great use of your time. However, consider how much more effective that would be if you had already established those relationships, those one-to-one relationships with every member of your quorum, and then you have that to build off of. And so hopefully this, reflecting back on this in hindsight, you know, when we do return to a more traditional social connection, hopefully we can say, now I understand why these simple steps of meeting with my core members, the members of my release society on a regular basis are so crucial because if you don't build that foundation, scenarios like this are just going to be more difficult, right? Any thoughts coming to mind? I think circling back to some of the questions that I've heard in my experience and also some of the the feedback that I got from some therapists in the area, people asking, am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. I'm doing all these things. Am I doing enough? And that feeling of not of being maybe a leader and feeling like, oh, I'm trying so hard, but nothing seems to be sticking and validating those folks to say, if you're doing really a whole lot of anything, you're probably doing enough. You're probably doing amazing. And you might not know how powerful those, those interactions are. I think that there is, there's so much power to something like a quorum or a class, there's a reason that, that we are, are in those, those sorts of organizations. And even though we're not going to church, to our church buildings on Sunday right now, even though we are disconnected and distanced from each other for reasonable uh, reasons, for health concerns, I think that there's a lot of space to connect with people and to just let them know that we care and that we love them, to help them feel like they're part of the team, part of the tribe, and not to let the, the phrase ward family uh, just seem kind of silly. I hear that a lot. You know, people mm-hmm. like ward family. It's, it's almost, <laughs> almost like you scoff, like what family, ward family. And I, I happen to live in a ward where a lot of us really do feel like that. We do feel like we have a ward family, but it's taken a lot of work. And back to like Ryan Gottfordson printing out his every, every uh, article that he did about community building, I think in 2019, and going through and saying, well, where do we fall and what can we do? And so, you're right that to a certain degree, the ship has sailed in some regards, but I don't, I think that there might be some danger in throwing in the towel just yet and yep. sitting on our hands and waiting. And so I understand that there might be some utility to not overreacting and to, to not over inundating people with emails and meetings and Zoom calls. And even from the, the survey that you put out, there are people that feel like, hey, just, okay, like enough, all right, yeah. enough meeting on Zoom. But I I think that we should be careful to not fall into a pattern of apathy because there are people out there that are dying 
for this sense of belonging and the connection that they kind of thought was promised to them by the church and by, by leaders and friends. And, and I think that there are a lot of opportunities to do that. And I don't think, and this is important. I don't think it takes much. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it takes much. Yeah, that's, that's crucial. It, and, and that's the thing is hopefully that's comforting to leaders to hear is that you don't have to create a new dynamic, you know, plans or efforts. It can be very simple. And, you know, going back to this concept of, you know, that Ryan Goffertson talks about, which I think originally originated with, originally originated with uh, Brene Brown about most, everybody's really doing their best, even though it may not look like it. But the hardest, the hardest way to see that principle is when we look inward at ourselves, like, am I really doing my best? Right. And I remember as a bishop, you know, I was in a high welfare ward and there were times where I needed to tell a person or a family, no, we're not going to, I'm not going to write that check for the rent this month because, you know, for whatever reason and, and telling someone no and seeing them walk out of that office, I felt like I was abandoning them. And I think leaders need to realize no matter how hard you try to get cover all the bases, all the responsibilities in your ward, you're going to miss somebody. But the beauty of it all is I would always remind myself as they walked out of that office when I felt like I had abandoned them, I always remind myself that Christ will never abandon them. And he will, you know, comfort them. He will reach out to them. He always has their back. And Christ understood in, the, in certain moments I needed to say no. And that was completely legitimate for me to say no. And so as a leader, just getting in that mindset of saying, yeah, actually I am trying my best. And sure, there's places I could point to to say that, yeah, I could approve there, there, and there. But Christ makes up the difference in those shortcomings where maybe you could have made someone feel more belonging, but you didn't. Christ has got them, and we just keep keep going forward and, and keep trying, right? The idea of Christ making up the difference for us, it's it's almost like he, like he makes up the difference, but he makes up the whole thing. It's like there's not even a difference because it's right. 100%. I guess I think about that one. So I, I somehow landed on the, like the Treasure Valley, Idaho church speaking circuit kind of without being, without asking. And it's a strong circuit. I've met several of people in that circuit. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, at one point I was, before all of this, I was going to a different ward, whether it be um, in the Boise area or, or some of the outskirts weekly and to talk about uh, mental health concerns um, and to answer questions. And what I realized is what I actually needed to be talking about was belonging. That I, I realized I was doing a mental health presentation conversation that was actually a conversation about belonging. Hmm. And I did a ton of them. Who knows if we return to normal, if I go back and do more. I love doing it. And I love watching people's eyes light up in those meetings when I start to talk about belonging and how belonging can be fostered. And asking some questions about, do you feel like you have a work family? Do you feel like you're, you're part of a tribe? Do you feel like people have your back? And if not, maybe spending a little bit of time exploring why and what might you need to be able to feel that way and inviting leaders to ask those that they serve a question like, how can I show up for you? Hmm. What might belonging look like for you? And how can I show up in that space to help foster that? Well, maybe a little bit more than you have right now. And, uh, I would get these emails and text messages and notes from people, mostly Relief Societies, because believe it or not, um, elders quorums are not dying to have a conversation about their emotions. But every once in a while, it'll happen. <laughs> saying, well, we've been focusing now for just a couple of weeks on belonging, and we've been having some more open conversations. 
and which some of the research suggests to have a conversation about connection and belonging is excellent and required if you want to foster greater levels of belonging. You got to talk about it. What does it look like? What do we need? Where maybe do we drop the ball? What a conversation to maybe have in, in one of your Zoom board council meetings. And then to start acting on some of those things, to show up and actually, I don't want to say actually care, but show up in a way that a person might really feel your love and also the love of Jesus Christ. It was one of the more rewarding things that, that I've ever done. And I feel fortunate, I guess, to have the, the background and training that allows me to go in and talk about connection, relationships, and belonging. Because uh, the, the feedback that I continue to get even months or, or years later after going in and talking about belonging and connection and hearing the stories from members of whether it be the Relief Society or, or the president and the changes that are wrought after focusing in on creating a strong sense of belonging. It's just really cool. And I, I think that we, we're in a place right now where so many are lacking that sense of belonging. I think we could do, and maybe this is wrong, but I think we could do more good now than we might have been able to do previously because the lack of sense of belonging is so obvious. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who um, any, any therapist would know his name. He's the world's leading trauma expert. He wrote The Body Keeps the Score, which is the gold standard for understanding psychological trauma. He did a webinar for therapists not too long ago, and he identified seven pre-traumatic conditions that we are experiencing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Wow. And uh, here's, here's what he identified. I'm just going to read them off. Lack of predictability, immobility, the big one for me, which is loss of connection, numbing out or spacing out, loss of sense of time and sequencing. I mean, how many people have no idea what day it is? Yeah. <laughs> loss of safety, you know, hand sanitizing and masks and, you know, we're dressing up like Darth Vader to, to go to the grocery store. And then the last one is a loss of sense of purpose. Hmm. And I think so many of us are experiencing that. And I would invite those that think they might not be experiencing that to look outside of themselves a little bit and think about maybe their family or the people that they serve. I've had conversations, I guess, with men, women, and teens saying like my, my spouse or my parents, they think we're fine. And they think that, that this is all just normal. And they say, well, we don't need people anyway. And I'm fine just watching TV. Good. Now no one bothers me. And, <laughs> and, and I can understand that perspective. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, maybe that's right. Maybe that's how they feel. But it might not be the case that everyone under their roof or everyone in their organization or what have you feels that way. And along with that, I think we're going to see some, well, we are, we're seeing rising rates of domestic violence. We're seeing increased calls to suicide prevention hotlines. All the therapists that I talk to are seeing increased rates of suicidal ideation and concerns. And we're seeing across the board, I think, higher levels of depression. Mm -hmm. It's scary. As yeah. someone who's on the front line, so to speak, addressing some of these concerns, it's really scary. Yeah. No, I, I, man, that's, there's a lot there to, to unpack, but I guess my mind goes to, let me back up even further that you talk about this concept of how can I show up for you and just having the conversation, like having the dialogue about belonging goes so far. And obviously that would be maybe a great place to start when we do return back to church. My guess is July, first week of July. Okay. I'm going to put that in the ground and see if I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. July, 2021, maybe. But uh, anyways, but just starting that conversation, but my mind even goes to even currently having that conversations with maybe some of our ministering families, right? Because this single lady in my ward who's on my ministering list and in the beginning, I would reach out to her like, Hey, you know, do you need me to come do the sacrament? 
you know, I'm here. What can I do for you? You know, especially on, on the priesthood perspective. And she's uh, often, uh, she kept coming back saying, no, I'm actually good. My family's close. I'm actually at my son's house and, you know, he's got that covered and on and on. Right. But just having that conversation of, and even I just, lo- I wrote down this question, how can I show up for you? Like calling your ministering families and saying, listen, I'm sort of at a loss here. How can I show up for you? Like, what, what do you need right now? And I think that just takes it further than the, the cliche question of, is there anything I can do for you? Like, that's easy to ask, Never but to really, Never what's that? Never ask it. Never ask it. Right. I, I, I'm in that camp as well. Right. But go to that extra level of saying, how can I show up for you? Especially right now when we're quarantined, do you need me to show up for you? And that's, I mean, that's so powerful. I've got one more thing to bring up, but I don't, anything to add to that that you would want to add? I think one quote that, that sticks out in my mind that popped up frequently when talking to, to leaders and, and other, other mental health professionals is why would I even go back? Mm-hmm. And I think there, there are folks that are going to land in that camp. And I am, my heart goes out to them. You know, I want to like have social distancing go away so I can just go give them a big hug or something. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for leaders to know that there, there are those people in their flock that might be asking that question right now. And it might be due to that lack of sense of belonging, some of those other risk factors that I mentioned. And I think that we could really do, we could do a lot by doing a little. Yeah, for sure. And then the other, you know, that list you gave, that list of seven things, and we'll put it in the show notes so it's there and obvious to, to review, but what a fantastic, because I, I think there's so many ward councils right now that are meeting via Zoom because I feel like, okay, I think we're supposed to do this and we have nothing to talk about, but here we are, we're doing okay, right? But taking that list and saying, let's go down this list and see how we can create belonging both now in this quarantine scenario on all of these points. How can we springboard off of those points and, and make sure those are covered? And then when we go back to to our regularly scheduled program and we are meeting more socially present, how, how can we faci- you know facilitate that belonging al- along those points? I think that's just such a wonderful model and guide to consider that's going to stimulate a lot of inspiration in that setting of a word council, right? I love it. What a, what a word council topic. Belong. Yeah. Just write it on the board, sit down and talk yeah. and, and like, or I guess, I don't know, post it in your, the chat, but, that's but, right. <laughs> right. but to think about belonging, I, th- I think that's, it is one of the keys for surviving this pandemic. My heart breaks watching the depressed and the anxious and the scared and the relationships that are struggling and it breaks my heart even more to hear the stories of, of feeling forgotten. Does anyone notice me? Why would I even go back where I, I thought that they were supposed to be, you know, my leaders or whatever it is. And then knowing that those leaders are doing their best, they're out there doing their best fighting the good fight. And so I, I just hope that I wrote down on a notepad right next to me before we started just the word grace. I hope that we can all just be a little more aware of the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and to take sort of a, a vulnerable moment, you know, I'm a believer in vulnerability here, in the Brene Brown camp here. But, you know, as you went through those lists, there is that list of seven points. A few of them stuck out because I've been noticing myself, like I am, I am Mr. Positive, like not even a blip on the, on the depression radar ever. Like I, I recognize depression as a real thing. I try and empathize as much as I can with people who, who really wrestle with that. But for my, I mean, I'm blessed with some good mental health in that department, but I've noticed recently during this quarantine period, just a, a sting of a funk, right? Of just sort of at the end of the day, I, I turn to my wife and be like, huh, 
I'm in a funk right now. And, and again, it's nothing like I, I need to rush out and get Medicaid or anything, but, and I bring it up cause I know it's good to, you know, point at it and talk about it. And, and as you go through that list, like a few things that stood out for me, just, I think the immobility a little bit, and it's easy for me to say, well, I work at home anyways. Like I've always done this. So this isn't a dramatic thing, but just the, but I still have limited myself quite a bit. You know, I don't go to the stores often unless we really need to. I've, I really, I think benefited from, I did a lot of lunches and, and meeting with people in my regular day. And that, that gave me, I think fed kind of pulled me out of that funk a lot. And then the, the one you said, as far as lack of purpose, like leading saints for me recently, like I get so much purpose in putting this content together, talking with great people, you know, putting content out there that's going to help leaders and, and Latter-day Saints. But then like the meetings with Saints Summit, it didn't go very well because I've released it at the moment the quarantine was starting and nobody was in the mood of sitting in front of their computer and learning about meetings. Like, Kurt, the world is on fire right now. Like that's sort of where we, you know, you talked about the, uh, what was the, you know, people started with uh, stress or that they- Lack were, of predictability. Oh yeah, lack of predictability, right? Everybody's in that. It's like, I don't want to sit down and talk about how to write out a meeting agenda. I mean, thanks for doing it, but I'm not in the mood. So it, it really under, yeah. yeah, it really underperformed. And I, after that, I sort of found myself like, man, like I don't have really anything to bring to the audience. And of course I do. And obviously we're making great content now to do that. But I've sensed that purpose has really deflated a little bit. And I know it'll come back and, and you know, we'll have great and wonderful things to talk about and all different angles of leadership. But anyways, I think it's normal for even the person who hasn't wrestled with depression to sort of point out moments of like, huh, yeah. like I'm in a funk. Like I, I'm not springing out of bed like I used to. And uh, I think it's good just to vocalize it and talk about it. Of course, you would be the one to, to talk to about that. But anyways, does that make sense? Yes. Well, for me, it's the gym. The gym's closed. I know. I had a habit of waking up basically every morning at 530 and getting down to, to the local rec center in Nampa, Idaho. Yeah. And- smashing some weights and seeing some guys that I see every morning, basically, and then rushing home and and getting out the door. And I got to be honest, it's really hard for me to transition, you know, from weights and, you know, everything else and equipment to doing push-ups and sit-ups in my living. Oh yeah. Or I'm this, I'm totally the same way. Like the baby, you know, it's this, it's a whole situation. You almost, you almost couldn't pay me to watch some YouTube video, workout video and have me do it. But if I can, if I have a gym where I can sort of walk into this facility, I'm getting, yeah, I'm going to get some, some stuff done, you know, but yeah. And that's the other thing. And that, that impacts mental health and, you know, everything as far as exercise. So there's so many dynamics of this that anyways, that should be considered, but. I think it's just important to to note that no one is immune. I feel like I'm saying things like that all the time. Nobody writes for free. You know, the tax man cometh, whatever whatever it is that that um, there are no, as it relates to our emotional well-being, there are no free rides. And it is absolutely essential that we take care of ourselves. Um, and so if I have to force myself to do some push-ups in the living room or whatever it is, um, I, I need to be mindful of that for me because I can't serve whether it be um, in my practice, working in my practice or serving those in my community or my ward or my family, I have to be mindful. Just like, like you said, I, I'm also not someone that's prone to a lot of negative emotion. I'm a pretty positive guy, but I know that with a lack of predictability, what's going to happen? Immobility, right? I can't just go, you know, take my four-year-old down to the arcade and go hang out. I can't just go do things. And if I do, it looks like a zombie apocalypse movie everywhere that I have a loss of connection. I'm, you know, I don't get to go and see my grandma who lives down the road from my office like I would like to. 
you know, I would like to go visit her all the time. And right now I kind of don't. And there's, there's a bit of a loss of connection there, the numbing out and spacing out, thinking about how much time am I spending just staring at my screen because I feel like there's nothing else to do. Loss of sense in time and sequencing. It's like I said, how many people, how many people even I see in my practice are late to their appointments because they're like, I thought it was Tuesday. I didn't even, I didn't even know. <laughs> and a loss of sense of safety. It's, you know, we're all afraid of getting sick and then purpose, just like you talked about. Why? Yeah. If, you know, so many people out of work thinking about that in ward council, who can't go to work? Yeah. Who can't go to work? And how might they be feeling that lack of sense of purpose? And how might, you know, like, like my buddy David giving me a phone call, who might benefit from a phone call of not saying, hey, what can I do for you? But just saying, hey, man, how are you? Yeah, it goes a long way. And it, 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 the phone calls are being much more, uh, you know, I, I get phone calls from people. My bishop yesterday just called me and I thought I was sort of waiting him for to be like, so anyways, the reason I'm calling, but no, he was just like, he was just talking. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, we're just talking. That's okay. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, exactly. So when, uh, one point I wanted to hit before we wrap up is as far as like giving yourself a lot of grace as a leader, realizing that the ward the, or the church is not the sole source for all belonging. And we shouldn't put that on our shoulders that like, if you don't belong to these people, everybody's going to suffer and die alone in their homes and it'll be over and it'll be all your fault, right? Because, you know, you talked about, we have the same calling right now, preschool advisor. And you talk about, you know, doing these Zoom meetings. And we actually tried that a few times. And the, the bishop and I were just talking before, like, and the feedback we got was these priests are at doing homeschool. They're on Zoom all day long. And then- here, their priest quorum leaders want to do a Zoom call activity, right? And, and we're sort of feeling like, yeah, because we got to do something, right? We got to connect and belong. And again, they're just like you've done, you've seen some positive things from that. We've tried it and it just didn't go well, right? And so then it comes to this sense of like, well, then what are we going to do? And I have to remind myself that, yes, of course, we want to be examples in the lives of these priests. We want to be a support circle for them. We want to be there and help them develop through these difficult times. But I always remind myself, these priests, actually most of them, if not all of them, have a good parent at home. Right. And they're, they're supplementing a lot of that connection and belonging that they need. And they've got cousins, they've got friends. It's not like if I don't reach out to them, they're sitting alone. Of course, that may be the case for some people. And that's why we've got to stay you know, proactive and connected. But just don't put the weight of it all that the church is the source for belonging. And if we don't show up, nobody's going to show up, right? Any, any thoughts to add to that? Oh, you're describing unnecessary burnout. Yes. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't have to be. I tell people this all the time, especially when I'm speaking to church, church-related groups, that we, it is not our job to fix anyone. Hmm. We already have a Savior, and he is not me. You know, he's not <laughs> Garrett, and he is not Kurt. And it's not our responsibility to do that. It is our responsibility, I think, to show up in a way that, a way that fits and to give whatever approximates our best effort. And there is not one formula. It is not one size fits all. And that's why I serve my mission in Mozambique. The way that they, that I'm seeing like via Facebook or email conversations, the way that they are spending time together and, and trying to be connected looks very different than Nepal. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But so we, we can't expect this cookie cutter pattern, you know, some things work in certain situations and some don't. When I was 10 years old and my mom had just died, I needed cookies, you know, yeah. and, and right. And right now, maybe uh, someone in your priest quorum, maybe they, maybe they do, maybe they don't, maybe they need a cookie. Maybe they need, you know, a doorbell ditch cookie left, left on the, left on the porch. Yeah. I don't know. Garrett needs a gym, not a cookie. Okay, folks. Don't. <laughs> Please. I've done the research. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many square feet before I have to pull a permit from the city? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that there's danger in saying I have to do, I have to be the savior of my preschool, right? Or whatever it is. And sometimes it's important to remember that we set the bar really high on things like Zoom meetings. And yes. it's something that, that I think has helped with our preschool. And this is some feedback that I've got from them that the bar is not set super high. It's not like, hey guys, here's 18 things that we're going to do in this Zoom meeting. And, and if you don't participate, you know, it's a couple of weeks ago, one of my priests was uh, in the, the line at Taco Bell with his dad and he was just talking to us on Zoom and it wasn't that, it wasn't that big of a deal. He's like, oh, I'm telling us what his order was. And it was fine. There was no pressure. There's no pressure. And, and I think that things can just be fun and they can be easy, but they can be meaningful. And we can let people know that we love them and hopefully through letting them know that we love them, they can remember that Jesus loves them so much. And so that when we come back together, hopefully, uh, you know, you heard it here first. First week July, of July, folks. July, whatever. That the feeling can be a feeling of welcome home and not, a, not one more thing to check off the list, but we can feel something akin to welcome home. Love it. All right. So have we any, anything we've missed, Gary, here's your oh, chance to so much, so oh, much, but uh, we need a yeah, whole you talk about a summit on meetings. It sounds like we need to have a summit on belonging. Hey, no, hey. maybe that's, maybe that's next. You're time. not the first one to think of that. Okay. I'm, <laughs> that may be happening sooner than later, but, uh, and you'll definitely have several spots in that, in that summit. But before I ask you the final question, if people do want to reach out to you, especially those, don't you call it the Treasure Valley? Isn't that the what? Treasure Valley, yeah. The Treasure, those along the Treasure Valley, which isn't quite as cool as the Wasatch Front, but uh, it's sort of the northern Wasatch Front. Treasure Valley, everybody in Idaho hates me right now. If people in the Treasure Valley do want to reach out to you, either for counseling or to, for a future Fifth Sunday or maybe a Zoom meeting of some type. Yeah, I'll do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where would you send them to reach out? I kind of have an always say yes policy when it involves my tribe, which is members of the church. Sometimes that means that I'm, you know, hanging out, you know, in some middle of nowhere place until 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday, <laughs> but I'm, I'm always willing. So I, I uh, so my practice is just Garrett Crone counseling and my office, um, people in the area will know I'm on the corner of Victory and Meridian Road in Meridian. I have a website that's Crone. So um, my last name is spelled Crone, pronounced Crone. I always say Crone, Garrett. I'm so sorry. has any idea why though. So it, it might be right. I'm wrong. Who knows? But it's K-R-O-O-N as in nancycounseling.com. You can find out a little bit about me, what I do, uh, what I don't do. And uh, my, my email address, uh, Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T at crohncounseling.com. Like I said about the letter writing, I love getting emails and responding to them. I'm not going to like charge you or even like try to get you. I have a big busy <laughs> practice. I'm not, you know, trying to snag people in via email. I like, come, come to my office. Uh, if they want to, I guess that's fine. But I have a, a Rolodex of excellent therapists, uh, Latter-day Saint therapists. And I love to kind of converse, answer questions and, and talk, especially with leaders. I, I let leaders know, and quite a few leaders here in, in our, the Treasure Valley take advantage of it. I let them know, if you have a mental health related question, shoot me an email. And if it falls within my, my purview, which a lot of times, especially with things like depression, anxiety, scrupulosity, which I'd love to talk more about sometime, yeah. I would love to answer your questions and see if I can provide some resources and help. Because a, a lot of times, well-meaning leaders just don't really know what to do. And that's not their fault. It's like, I don't know how to do dental surgery. I would never pretend like I, I know how to do that, you know? And so I, I love offering that to any leader that wants to just shoot me an email and ask a question. Awesome. And hopefully 
those in the Treasure Valley will see you at the gym sooner than later. But uh, never rec center, hopefully. Yeah. yeah right. hopefully. So the last question I have for you, Garrett, is uh, just as you have reflected on this time during the the pandemic, and you know whether it's meeting with clients and helping them, uh, you know, sort through their their issues. How has this time, this pandemic, made you a better disciple or follower of Jesus Christ? Such a good question. I have had, I have a unique opportunity, I think, to experience grace. And I think I get to hear the hardest stories, especially working so much in, in the realm of trauma and depression. I hear the hardest stories. And I think if I can feel so much empathy, love, and a feeling of grace towards my fellow man, whether they're you know, in my, in my ward or, or mostly sitting across from me here in my office, how much more love and grace must my heavenly father and my savior, Jesus Christ, feel for them. I loved listening to Rob Farrell and I have really dedicated myself or tried to recently to just trying to get to know Jesus. And this time has given me an opportunity to really focus in on just trying to get to know Jesus, who he is for me and, and who he is for my family and trying to get to know him in a way that maybe I hadn't before. And sometimes when the world seems like it's on fire, I think that at least I am provided with an increased measure of opportunity and maybe motivation to really get to know him and to see his hand in my life and in the lives of people around me. And I feel so fortunate that I get to hear the stories of him showing up in their lives and, and I get to see him firsthand show up. Thank you, Garrett. That concludes my interview with Garrett Crone. Uh, definitely, if you're in the Treasure Valley area, reach out to him. Invite him to your fifth Sunday lesson, your steak fireside, whatever it is. This guy knows his stuff and does a great job presenting and speaking to it. Of course, once we all get back to normal, right? Normal's in our future. Please just assure me normal is in our future. What other ways could we help you leaders during this time of uncertainty? Again, I sort of think back that I said, church is going to start the first week of July. And yeah, probably not. I don't know. I sure hope so. But let's have some faith and hope it's that soon. But we want your feedback. You can go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Let us know specifically the type of uh, wrestle or struggle you're dealing with in these unique times. I actually have some upcoming interviews planned with Dan Duckworth, who's a member of our board and really has some fascinating approaches to what we can focus on as leaders during this time where we're sort of looking for problems to solve because that's sort of what we did in the past. But now the problems are different and we don't know how to solve them. So what on earth are we supposed to do? Anyways, that'll make more sense in these future interviews with Dan Duckworth. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the core leader community today. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.